This is Psych, Wine, and Pop Culture, a podcast brought to you by two best friends. I'm Dr. Heather. I have a PhD in clinical psychology, and I live in Southern California. And I'm Kristen, former journalist living in Dallas-Fort Worth, Texas. Join us for a glass of wine, providing a psychological perspective on popular TV shows and movies. And candid conversations about mental health. This podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Psych, Wine, and Pop Culture. I'm Dr. Heather. And I'm Kristen. Man, after last week's episode where we talked about the dark triad and ghosting, I am so ready to talk about something that will just like heal my heart and soul. I totally agree. It's a great change of pace. We definitely need some positivity, some positive vibes in this podcast too. (laughs) Yeah, for real. So, you know, I'm super excited because today we have a really very special pop culture episode about one of my favorite people, Mr. Rogers. Of course. Obviously, not everyone knows Kristen, but that is definitely one of her favorite people. So this is such a great episode. It's going to be so interesting because in a way, we're sort of flipping the script in this episode. So Kristen, you'll sort of be the expert and I'll be the one to make the comments this time. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Mr. Rogers, you're right. He's like one of my favorite people. And I can't tell you guys like how excited I am to do this episode. I I have been preparing this outline for weeks, and I feel like we've been wanting to do this episode since, like, we started this podcast. Well, exactly. I'm just excited for this episode. It's been a long time coming. So we know how influential mass media can be in today's day and age. And, you know, we have a million social media platforms, TV, podcasts, radio. But if you go back to the 1960s, when television was the most influential form of mass media, I feel like Mr. Rogers had the foresight and the vision to use television and specifically children's programming as a means to shape young minds and hearts for a better society and future. So in this episode, we're going to talk about how he did just that in his children's television show that we all know and love, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Yeah, and we're going to dive into how social and emotional learning skills that Mr. Rogers taught us with the show and how observing him on television made it possible for young viewers to model the same behavior. I kind of feel like this episode reminds me of some theories in psychology, which we'll talk a little bit more about later. Yeah, and I love that, you know, with me having a communications background, a lot of the theories that I learned about in grad school really overlap with your field in psychology. Agreed. It's like we're, we have like a little episode that married our <laughs> degrees together. <laughs> I know, right? Well, there's going to be so many things that I think are going to come full circle for our listeners in this episode. You know, like as a kid, when I watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, like I didn't really realize that he was teaching me how to recognize and manage my emotions. And I didn't realize that he was teaching me by example to be kind to my neighbor. And like I definitely didn't realize that he was teaching me you know, like how to practice self-care and self-positive talk whenever he would say to us as the viewers, you know, how special we are at the beginning, at the end of every episode. Oh, I think with that, it's time to pop some wine. Man, it's been a while. (laughs) It has. So would you like me to go first since I already have it open? Yep. Okay. 
So first of all, I have a Temecula wine here. It's called Late Harvest and it's from Botaya Winery, which Botaya is Italian. Kind of sounds Spanish, but it means barrel seller. Mm, yeah. Well, it doesn't shock me that you have a Temecula wine with you being from Temecula, Southern California. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So this wine's from 2016 and it's a late harvest. It's kind of an interesting design. It was a little like um, abstract. You always have to <laughs> do that up to the mic because you like the you like the sound. It's so gratifying to hear that sound. <laughs> I just love the sound of anything that's just like water. I don't know. But anyways, let me go ahead and taste it. It's still good. I was kind of worried because it's been a while since I've drank. And I've had this bottle sitting around for a little bit. And of course, you know, red wine tastes better the longer you, you leave it out. But it's kind of mm -hmm. sweet, honestly. It's like in between like a dessert wine and a regular wine. It's not dessert wine sweet, but it is sweet. I think it's very like berry, cinnamon, and molasses. Well, I guess um, I'll go ahead and taste mine. I poured it before we started recording, but cheers. <laughs> cheers. Okay, so you know that I always prefer white wine, but we try to alternate. So when you do red, I do white and vice versa. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be shocked. I picked a Pinot Grigio. Okay, okay, of course. At least it wasn't a Sauvignon Blanc, which is pretty much every time I pick a white wine, I pick that one. <laughs> it's from Estancia Vineyards, and it's a Pinot Grigio uh, from California. And in the back of the bottle, it does say, like, there's pear and honeysuckle with zesty, refreshing hints of green apple mm. and some notes of grapefruit or with a grapefruit finish. And then it says that it pairs really well with, uh, you know, salmon and chicken. So that's pretty typical of, you know, uh, either a Sauvignon Blanc or a Pinot Grigio. But um, Pinot Grigios are always, like, really sweet to me. Um, and that's true for this one as well. I mean, you can taste what it's talking about. I think, like, more honeysuckle is more prominent than anything. I really like it. I just couldn't see myself having, like, you know, probably more than a glass of this at a time. Hmm. Well, I did want to ask you, what would you pair it with? Like, you know, just to eat something because, you know, it's always good to eat and drink at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I guess with what it says, you know, like salmon, chicken. Yeah. Okay. That's what you would eat? <laughs> well, what I would eat, hmm, let's see. I probably would get some like lemon pepper wings from like Wingstop or something. And eat that with them. See, that's a better answer, guys. <laughs> that's such a better answer. That sounds good. Yeah, it would taste, it would taste really good with the fries too. Well, moving on, I, I did want to share a little biography about Mr. Rogers before we got started. Okay, okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I feel like I'm learning right now. I'm excited. <laughs> well, good, because I'm super excited. So Fred Rogers was born on March 20th, 1928 in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. He was a puppeteer and an ordained minister, Presbyterian minister, who became the host of the TV program Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which ran nationally on PBS from 1968 to 2001. With an undergraduate degree in music composition, he wrote 200 songs for the show, including the theme, Won't You Be My Neighbor. We all love that song, mm -hmm. right? Won't you be my neighbor? <laughs> He was honored with numerous awards and accolades for his dedication to children's television. So like a lifetime of achievements. Yeah, goals. 
So his master's degree is in child development from the University of Pittsburgh, and his he also has a divinity degree as well, um, because I mentioned he was a Presbyterian minister. So, I mean, he was really prepared to speak directly to his preschool audience with that child development degree. Mm-hmm. But I don't want to gloss over the fact that Mr. Rogers was a Presbyterian minister because I think that a lot of people hear that and they're kind of shocked because you never really see him like preach on television or mention religion or God Mm -hmm. on Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. In my opinion, I always thought that it was really beautiful how he led through example and you could see if you knew that he was a Presbyterian minister that his faith is really what guided him to do his work. And his wife, like, has even mentioned in interviews before that, you know, when people would bring it up that he was a minister, she would say, well, you know, he really, like, walked the walk. And he would cons- he considered the show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, his ministry. I love that. That's actually, like, beautifully said. You know, like, that was his, you know, way of giving that those values right because even though he doesn't seem like he's talking about god or but he still has those traditional very foundational values that can help people that you know kind of foster like that positive sense of self and positive sense for others too so it doesn't have to be like through the biblical sense but he's still having those things taught which i love yeah me too what do you think about the fact that he had a child development degree I love that's amazing. I love that because you really I mean, if you're going to have any work with kids, you should have some type of education behind that because there are just so many things that, you know, with kids, you know, their physical development, their cognitive development, how they process emotions, their social skills, like the fact that he had that. I think that's why he developed such an amazing show, too. Then you're going to love the next part. I'm going to tell you. (laughs) Okay, Or what is it? Did you know that Mr. Rogers' mentor was a child psychologist? Damn. Wow. Mic drop. <laughs> so he has all that stuff. In addition, he got this great experience, knowledge from another person in the field too. Oh, man. That's great. Yeah, I thought that you would like that. I was trying to leave it as a surprise for you. It was a good surprise. I didn't want you to know that. Yeah. <laughs> I did not know that for sure. <laughs> I thought you'd get a kick out of that. So I wanted to share with you a little bit about who this child psychologist mentor was to Mr. Rogers. Okay. So her name was Margaret B. McFarland. And in the 50s, Mr. Rogers was a theology student who was interested in working with young children. So for counseling experience, Mr. Rogers was assigned to work under the supervision of a psychologist, child psychologist. Margaret was an associate professor in the Department of Psychiatry at the University of Pittsburgh. With that being said, you know, they ended up developing a beautiful friendship and it was a really like a pivotal professional relationship as well. Because for like 30 years until her death in 1988, Mr. Rogers and Margaret would meet weekly to discuss the upcoming scripts um, for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood and they would talk about like the props for the show and like song lyrics and all of that stuff. So he was, she was like a a consultant and a teacher to him for those 30 something years. And Margaret was um, also a graduate from teachers college at Columbia university. 
Um, I read this article in, in the New York Times where a reporter had said that her advice became so valuable to Mr. Rogers that he would take extensive handwritten notes and he would record all of their meeting their all of their meetings on audio cassettes back in those days. Wow, that's crazy. I would love to hear some of those, you know. <laughs> I know, right? Their conversations and everything. Yeah. But he was always very connected to his inner child and then very studious when it came to his child development degree and consulting with, you know, Margaret. I think it's amazing that they continued their professional relationship, you know, into their, you know, late adulthood. That's amazing. I also think it speaks volumes that he wanted to understand his preschool audience so well, and he just continued that consultation with the right people who had the same education or even higher education to achieve that ultimate vision that he wanted. Let's go ahead and talk about Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for, you know, maybe some people who are listening, like you might have remembered watching it as a kid, but maybe you don't really remember like how the show went Mm because that was me for sure, you know, until a couple years ago when I was like, you know what, let me go back and like watch old episodes and see what I used to watch. And it was a very like slow paced show for sure. Not like what you see on TV today at all. So I'm just going to give you a little summary of like what a typical episode of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood was like. So usually he started out, you know, with a bang, he would do that song, Won't You Be My Neighbor? And that's how he would sort of like welcome the audience into his home. People always wondered like, where's Mr. Rogers coming from? I guess I always imagined he was coming from work because he would always have like his jacket on and then he would change. (laughs) That's what I thought too. Yeah. (laughs) And then he would change from like his um, loafers into like, you know, some keds or something like that. And so that's how it would usually start. And then he would introduce the day's topic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, those topics could be anything like anything from like death, divorce, war. You know, he, he really didn't try to sugarcoat anything or um, not talk about very serious things with with what he thought his audience might be worried about, you know. Okay. And so then, you know, eventually uh, he had this little trolley that was in his living room and he would send the trolley off and the trolley would go behind a wall somewhere and then you would end up on the other side as the viewer and you would be in the neighborhood of Mm make-believe. So the neighborhood of make-believe was a home to puppets like Daniel the Striped Tiger and like King Friday and Henrietta Pussycat <laughs> and X the Owl and Lady Aberlin and all these people. So the puppets and like real people. Um, and then they just sort of like had neighborly conversations and they would, you know, just like neighbors have problems and then they would talk about their problems or whatever. And it always have to do with whatever the theme or the topic that he introduced at the very beginning. So... That's pretty much how an episode of Mr. Rogers would go. I feel like that really facilitates like how to have like good communication, you know, like having a conversation with your neighbor about hard stuff because, you know, kids, you know, don't really go about that on their normal day. Right. (laughs) So they're kind of gaining those skills just by looking at that. Oh, right. And we'll definitely go into more examples later. But um, yeah, I mean, he was very much interested in helping children develop the tools that they need for success in school and in life. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some things that he would teach um, us about when we would watch the show is about like persistence, curiosity, getting along with others, self-control, self-regulation. So these are all really important things for preschoolers to learn early on, you know, as they grow up. I totally agree with you. All right, so now for a little history lesson, and then we're going to play a little clip. I'm ready. 
So on May 1st, 1969, PBS's budget was on the line. So you guys all know PBS. It stands for Public Broadcasting Service. If it weren't for Mr. Rogers, plain and simple, like PBS would not exist. Mm. Yeah, the budget was on the line and Mr. Rogers had to appear before the congressional committee to convince the chair to give PBS the funding it needed. And the funding it needed was $20 million. That's insane. And that's back then. Like, I wonder how much that is now. That's insane. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So $20 million, that's what was at stake to continue to fund educational television. Wow. So I'm going to play a little clip here for you. And this is of Mr. Rogers appearing before Congress, speaking to Senator John Pastore. And you'll notice in the clip, he's a little bit of a hard ass and... Um, <laughs> This is Mr. Rogers explaining how Mr. Rogers' neighborhood is very beneficial to children as well as, you know, why it's important for this $20 million to fund educational television. Awesome. All right, Rogers, you got the floor. <laughs> and I could hear in his voice the, the nerves. Senator Pastore, this is a philosophical statement and would take about 10 minutes to read, so I'll not do that. Uh, one of the first things that a child learns in a healthy family is trust. And I trust what you have said that you will read this. It's very important to me. I care deeply about children. My first children- Will it make you happy if you read it? I'd just like to talk about it if all it's right, all right. Sir. This is what I give. I give an expression of care every day to each child to help him realize that he is unique. I end the program by saying, you've made this day a special day by just your being you. There's no person in the whole world like you, and I like you just the way you are. And I feel that if we in public television can only Make it clear that feelings are mentionable and manageable. We will have done a great service. Uh, could I tell you the words of one of the songs which I feel is very important? Yes. This has to do with that good feeling of control, which I feel that the children need to know is there. And it starts out, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And that first line came straight from a child. I work with children do, doing puppets in, in very personal communication with small groups. What do you do with the mad that you feel? When you feel so mad, you could bite. When the whole wide world seems oh so wrong and nothing you do seems very right. It's great to be able to stop when you've planned a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish, can stop, 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 anytime. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful. <clears throat> Looks like you just earned the $20 million. <laughs> <laughs> okay wow wow that was awesome just seeing that 
first of all, that guy kind of scared me. Like, if I was in Mr. Rogers' shoe, I'd be like, oh, I don't know about this. I don't know about this. <laughs> but I feel like he's just so genuine. You know, he just, you know, comes from the heart and says, this is what, you know, the vision of the show is. And, you know, I felt like I was special just listening to him talk about it. <laughs> Yeah. You know what? The part that made me think of you was when he was like, you know, trust is very important for kids to learn at a young age. It's what they learn in their family. And I trust that you'll read this statement later. Oh, he hooked him with that. That was his hook. <laughs> I'm like, genius. Genius. It's like, you know, trust. There you go. He's like, oh, okay. He's like, And then he said after that, the senator was like, would you like to read the whole thing? And he's like, no, no, it's okay. Just, you know, some stuff. <laughs> That was well played. I was yeah. like, well played, Fred. Well played. There you go. Checkmate. <laughs> I think it was really um, strategic and brilliant that he decided to share the lyrics of one of his songs. And what the song that he was talking about is, what do you do with the mad that you feel? Mm-hmm. And I think that one in particular, like really illustrated, you know, what the um, intentions of the show are. So I kind of wanted to know what you thought about that. Personally, I felt like it was very progressive for the time because even in our day in society, I feel like we don't talk about our emotions as much as we should. Yes, we made gains, of course, of course. But especially back then, like I feel like emotions were kind of swept under the rug. They really weren't talked about. And the fact that he brings it into the limelight like that. I feel that's just going to make what well, it did. It made such a human impact on people and kids growing up at the time. And just to feel like they're able to control those feelings that they have. What do you think about like the importance of Mr. Rogers saying, you know, how special each child is? Because he did make that a point to share with the senator. He was like, I always share this message, you know, at the end of every episode. It's probably, I mean, he's just a a treasure box of things, you know, amazing things. But (laughs) that is amazing because, you know, there could be children out there that don't hear that ever. Um, They could have parents that maybe, you know, are avoidant, dismissive. Um, They don't really give their child that positive praise. So to hear that and maybe never hear it from someone else, that makes a huge impact because you're like, hey, wait a second. I am special. I am unique. I can control my feelings or X, Y, and Z. And I feel like that in itself is such a great gift to give to someone. I know, especially to children. Mm -hmm. I did want to share a quote. Knowing that we can be loved exactly as we are gives us all the best opportunity for growing into the healthiest of people. That's I love that because it's true. It's kind of like that. It's it's a saying too. Like if you have to love yourself, right? To to know that you love yourself, and to grow into the healthiest of people. So being healthy with others, you know, having good boundaries with other people. So you first have to know that you're loved to love others, basically. So um, I wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the song that we mentioned because I think that you'll have quite a few things to say about it. So like I said, the song that he mentioned in this particular clip as he was giving his testimony, it's called, What Do You Do With The Mad That You Feel? And it was a song that Mr. Rogers wrote for Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in 1968. So with this first uh, verse here, when you feel so mad you could bite, I kind of LOL or laugh out loud because I've worked with children too. And let me tell you, they will bite you. (laughs) (laughs) So I just love that he brought that in there because that's something that they do and they think about it, you know? Like I just bit my friend the other day. 
or hmm, maybe I should invite my friend, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's what he would do when he'd have these little like groups, you know, when he would meet for supervision and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I think he said that the first words came from a child, right? What do you do with the mad that you feel? I think he mentioned that. Yeah. So, I mean, he's probably getting it straight from the horse's mouth, like as far as you know, why he chooses the lyrics he does. I totally believe that because it's so relatable for them because they're like, oh, okay, like, you know, for an adult, you could say, do you punch a wall? I'm like, a kid's not going to punch a wall typically, but they'll (laughs) bite somebody. They might punch, you know, another person, but (laughs) stuff like that. Um, The next verse is like, what do you do? Do you punch a bag? Do you pound some clay or some dough? I love that because he's just giving them coping skills. Wow, I never thought of it that way. Like yeah. safe things to punch. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. don't punch your friend. Don't bite your friend. Can you punch something like a pillow? You know, I feel like he's also not only identifying the emotion, but also it's like, okay, how do I deal with the emotion? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right. So another verse, it's, it's great to be able to stop when you plan a thing that's wrong and be able to do something else instead and think this song. Well, first of all, before we go to that part, how many of us have ever felt so mad that you could not stop? Because <laughs> I've been there, people. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Being your friend since you were 15 years old, I can say from experience <laughs> this song. I wish I would have sang this to you so many times growing up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I love that he touches on especially anger. Anger is very difficult to shut down. So the fact that he's bringing it to the forefront saying, it would be great to be able to stop, but he's letting you know how could you and how to identify that emotion, which I just think is amazing. So think this song. I can stop when I want to, can stop when I wish. I can stop, stop, stop anytime. And what a good feeling to feel like this. And know that the feeling is really mine. Know that there's something deep inside that helps us become what we can. What I got from this is that he's giving the control to the child. It's like, okay, you feel mm-hmm. this way. And you can totally be in control of it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you. He's giving the control to the child through these lyrics for sure. Overall, this song is so important. I can't stress it enough. I mean, even social emotional learning can happen at any stage in life. But I feel like to develop these tools, we have to do these like early on, right? So we don't, you know, know how to not deal with them or have so much stress that we have, you know, health issues or things like that. So it's very important to learn these things on how to deal with stress, negative emotions, just to have a better overall positive well-being. So like you've worked with this age group before, uh, preschoolers, because you used to work at, um, it was like a daycare, right? Child Development Center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Child Development Center. So, I mean, you have experience, but you also have therapeutic experience working with children as well. So, yeah, I mean, I think like your input definitely comes from personal experience. Well, like I was saying, like you, you said it earlier with, you know, he got the lyrics from kids themselves, right? And I felt that when I was reading it. And especially like that part where, you know, you act, react, react quickly when it's anger or you can't control it. I will definitely tell you preschoolers, they can react quickly. Because they just don't have the cognitive maturity that adults do, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're more yeah. likely to get mad very quickly. You know, they'll hit you, bite you. I'm not talking about me, but, you know, talking about, you know, little kids <laughs> will hit each other and things like that. So it's very easy to do things without thinking. And, I mean, I remember when I used to be at the Child Development Center, even as early as one, two years old, we were teaching them 
those emotions. Like if they got upset and bit somebody, we would say, oh, I'm so sorry that you're upset. Why are you so upset? You know, we'd say those things. And then after some time when they get in their language, they're like, I'm upset right now. Because <laughs> now they know how it feels and like what the word is for that. And through my teaching and like, you know, being there, you know, being mentored by others, they were very um, specific to not to label their emotions specifically. Like, don't say they're angry. Don't say they're, you know, annoyed, depressed. We keep it general. So like upset could mean all those things, mm-hmm. you know. And then when they talk yeah. a little bit more about it, then you teach them, oh, okay, well, that's when you're sad or this is when this is that, blah, blah, blah. Learning how to identify your emotions and how to regulate them it's sort of like a lifelong learning journey uh-huh. even as an adult like if I'm feeling really stressed out I know this is kind of weird I mean I, I don't really care I'll just say it sometimes I look up like episodes of Mr. Rogers on YouTube and I listen to him and I listen to him like teach me about emotional regulation and it makes me feel better Girl, I don't think that's weird. That's a good coping skill, people. So if you think that's weird, that's a good coping skill, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got the stamp of approval from you. Hopefully as a psychologist, not just as my best friend. (laughs) Yes, as a psychologist and your best friend. Well, I wanted to share another quote as we wrap up this little segment um, from Mr. Rogers. Anything that's human is mentionable, and anything that is mentionable can be more manageable. When we talk about our feelings, they become less overwhelming, less upsetting, and less scary. The people we trust with that important talk can help us know that we are not alone. That's another good one. You know, I wish I had like a little, you know, round of applause button here. (laughs) But what I love about this is that it's true, you know, getting those emotions out really helps us work through it, process it, so they're not as upsetting or like feeling like you can't overcome them. And I feel like this kind of reminded me of something, something that I just recently learned, which is kind of funny. I mean, not that I haven't done it before, but um, my psychologist that I also see, because I, even though I'm a psychologist, I have my own psychologist because I deal with some things sometimes. And mm-hmm. she told me to give a name to those feelings. Like, you know, if I'm feeling anxious and feeling overwhelmed, kind of just tell Amy to shut the hell up, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Who's Amy? Amy is your anxiety. So your amygdala is going on fire. It's like overreacting. <gasps> so she calls her Amy. Oh, mm-hmm. that's interesting. Isn't that cute? You know what? That kind of reminds me of like the next part that we're going to go into. Okay. Let's go with it. You know that the inhabitants of the neighborhood of Make Believe are all puppets, hand puppets, and they portray real life feelings as they grow and learn to help their friends so um i mentioned some earlier but the puppets are like daniel the striped tiger king friday the 13th lady elaine fairchild x the owl and so many more and they often interact with like real people like lady aberlin (laughs) yeah i mean what you said about amy and the amygdala and like what you call anxiety Mm -hmm. like that kind of reminded me of the puppets so we're going to play a little clip from the documentary, Won't You Be My Neighbor, which came out in 2018. This is also the same documentary that, you know, I played a clip from earlier when I was showing the congressional hearing. Um, so in this particular clip, 
you're going to hear the voice of Lady Aberlin, which is one of the real people that is in the neighborhood of make-believe. And she's having a conversation with one of the puppets, Daniel the Striped Tiger. (laughs) So that's just to set it up for you guys. Awesome. And then you'll also hear the voice of Joanne Rogers, who is Mr. Rogers' wife. He did all the voices, but, uh, but I think Daniel was the real Fred. Maybe I could talk about clocks and loving and things like that. A, B, C, D, F, G, J, K, L, M, S. Oh, Lady Aberlin, I just can't go to school tomorrow. Why not, Daniel? Because I don't know everything. Daniel is articulating the fears and anxieties and feelings that Fred had as a child but that many children have. He never forgot how vulnerable it was to be a kid. You know, you're this little thing. Everything else in the world is bigger than you are. And you have to learn everything that helps you get through life. It's a lot easier, even as an adult, for me to have Daniel say, I'm really scared. Do you think maybe you could give me a hug? You know, that would be hard for me to say. I'm really scared. Do you think you could give me a hug? So the difference from, the, from here to here, that doesn't seem very far, but it was efficacious, to say the least. Oh, wow. That's just, it's a lot to take in. It's a lot to take in. Um, what I loved about that is that he basically has that talk, that self-talk from Daniel, the, the little tiger, that how children have fears, right? We don't really think about that, right? That kind of reminded me of like how would a child feel like if they, their parents are having a divorce, they don't know everything, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, why, why is this happening? Like, so the fact that you don't know why, it just creates this anxiety, this fear. And I feel like it's just so relatable to so many kids on so many levels with who have so many different things that are going on in their life. Yeah. And, you know, one of the interviewees said, I don't know her name, but she mentioned that, like, you have to remember as a kid, you're just this little thing in this big world and you're so vulnerable. Mm -hmm. That is so true. That is so true. And going back to what he was saying, Mr. Rogers, where he said it's much easier to say that, you know, I'm scared through like a puppet than to say it actually yourself. Because like all Mm -hmm. the attention is from the puppet, you know, the puppet's going to get the judgment, you know, but it's not necessarily you. And even myself, like when I've you know, been vulnerable, like in like therapy sessions or when people have been vulnerable with me, when you make that eye contact and you say it, I would say eight times out of 10 people cry you know, because someone's seeing them. Oh, yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, the puppet thing, I I guess I really wanted to know, since you've done therapy with kids and you've probably studied this, like, how are puppets an effective form of communication and therapy? And, like, how do they help children learn in this case? Okay. Well, this is going to be kind of a long answer, <laughs> but hopefully you find some, you know, good fun facts from it. So 
you know, when it comes to puppets or dolls, like that's kind of termed like play therapy sometimes. So whenever you're talking with a child, you may engage in that because in most cases, they don't have like the verbal skills or even the insight to just, you know, talk about their feelings. So sometimes it's easier, kind of how Mr. Rogers said, (laughs) to talk through, you know, a puppet or a doll, right? Mm -hmm. And then the other great thing about puppets is that the child's actually actively and physically participating in the process. Like versus you and me, let's say we have a therapy session, we're just talking, right? But we're not Mm -hmm. actively like, you know, moving around, you know, making the emotions on the puppet. It really kind of brings all of that together of how they're feeling. And also it captures their attention, you know, of what's being learned and then not to mention their imagination. So you get to see, you know, their creativity and their learning processes. And this is all happening unconsciously for the child, right? They're not actively thinking about what's going on in their head, but it's just coming out from them. Right. Yeah. So the other thing I thought that was interesting, um, I also did just a teeny bit of research because, you know, I always have to add that in there. But (laughs) (laughs) I found something on storytelling versus using puppets. Ooh. Yeah, interesting, right? So, you know, reading books, you know, we have all done that as kids, right? Or, you know, even, you know, on these shows, there's some storytelling. So which do you think is the most effective for children's learning when you are looking at storytelling versus like puppets or dolls? Storytelling versus puppets or dolls. Mm-hmm. Oh, when you quiz me, it's so hard. Sometimes it's like I know what the obvious choice is, then I go with the opposite. But this time I'm going to go with my gut. Okay. And I don't care if I'm wrong. Is it puppets? Yes, puppets, puppets. <gasps> Yay, I'm right. So they're both effective, but puppets are a little bit more effective than just, you know, going through a story. So like you guys may have seen those stories out there with like, you know, how to deal with divorce or something like that for a child. And there's like a little storybook. You know, it is effective, but when you actually use puppets and that active participation, that creates more of that thinking for the child and that active participation grasps their attention a lot easier than just a story would. Wow, I am so nerding out right now listening to you talk about this. (laughs) So yeah, I love that. You know, I've done that, you know, in my own experience. It's just, it's actually fun, you know, to, you get to see who they are, you know, as children and also what, what types of things they've been exposed to. Like, you know, you can tell like if mommy's always at home, you know, they'll pretend to be mommy or things like that. So make-believe play is just a very important part of just overall child development. Okay, so two things. Um, You mentioned uh, talking about divorce as an example. Mm -hmm. Um, There's actually an episode where he does talk about divorce. Oh, yeah, I know. (laughs) I'm not surprised. (laughs) I forget which one of the puppets is the child who's experiencing it. Okay. And then the other thing is, I thought you would get a kick out of this. This is just like from my memory. Mr. Rogers would go on, you know, like the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. I've seen him like on Arsenio Hall because back then Arsenio Hall had like a nighttime talk show. Mm -hmm. You know, this was like back in the 90s. And Mr. Rogers would bring Daniel or he'll bring another puppet. He'll actually like talk with the puppet and it makes the adults the talk show host like so uncomfortable <laughs> and he'll like make them talk to the puppet or he'll make them like use the puppet to talk and it's just so hilarious so if you guys ever get a chance like just look it up on youtube it is so funny because like him just being him 
and he's just so sincere and genuine and then like the talk show host is like what the fuck (laughs) i freaking love that i might just watch it just to give me a good old laugh you know if i'm feeling a little bit down i'm sure that just make me crack up oh yeah especially you being a psychologist and probably having used puppets so (laughs) yeah okay well i really didn't know all the stuff about puppets and i'm glad that you shared like all this research and information well thank you you have a very robust outline over here i learned a lot and i'm very happy to know more about mr rogers Okay, so I have a couple of quotes to lead into the next segment of um, this episode. So here it goes. I'm not that interested in mass communications. I'm much more interested in what happens between this person and the one person watching. The space between the television set and that person who's watching is a very holy ground. Beautifully said. He's very person-centered, like we said before. He, like very individualized. Like a lot of shows don't do that, where like they make the show so as to speak to only one person. I feel like that's why it's such a great show because nobody else was doing that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can tell you as a child, I really felt like Mr. Rogers was talking to me personally. Every single time he would tell me how special I was, and he'd be like, "Hey, I learned about this today. Do you want to know about?" what I learned and I'm like yeah (laughs) and that's the way he does it like too like he talks to you and he asks you questions and it's like he gives you time like most people think it's like dead air but he'll like pause and give you time to like actually talk back to him oh wow I love that that's that's awesome (laughs) I swear to god like his experience speaks words because that's what you should do Dude, that would not happen today, though. Could you imagine, like, shows, they'd be like, well, why are you leaving, like, three seconds without talking? Like, you're going to lose everybody's attention. That's how it would be. I know. I know. They treat children like they have, like, a two-nanosecond attention span. When in reality, it's not like that. (laughs) Their attention span is shorter than us, but they can have conversations like this, you know? I think that technology and, you know, just that kind of thing that's what's conditioning kids today to have a very short attention span it's that instant gratification which we have an episode on right (laughs) Mm -hmm. yep that's true all right so the second quote will make a lot more sense once i go into the example but here it is i think those who try to make you feel less than you are that's the greatest evil Damn, that's powerful, man. That's basically he's telling you, you know, if people around you are toxic or they don't make you feel worthy, then maybe those are not people that you should have in your circle. Yeah, I love your interpretation of that. Yeah, I mean, who tells that, you know, to kids, you know, like they need to hear these things because, you know, sometimes we may meet people that are good for us, but sometimes we meet people that are not so good for us. And how do we navigate you know, those relationships. Yeah, I mean, and then it's ultimately like a domino effect. If you're someone who makes someone else feel like they're less, then like that's going to contribute to like a larger effect in society. Like people who feel that way, it's terrible. Terrible, yeah. Agreed. Yeah. You know, Mr. Rogers taught us through interactions with his neighbors on the show many, many, many lessons. And one of the most important and prominent lessons that he taught us was how to love thy neighbor. Mm -hmm. You know, this lesson might seem kind of like a no-brainer 
um, you know, the kind of thing that any child learns in kindergarten. But Mr. Rogers didn't only say the words. He also illustrated the point visually. And that's kind of like what Joanne, his wife, was saying, you know, in interviews. Like, he walked the walk. He did. That's true. So if you guys watched the show when you were a kid like me, you might remember this character named Officer Clemens. So he was a policeman um, from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood, and the actor's name who played him is Francois Scarborough Clemens. You have to say all three names. You do. (laughs) So he was initially reluctant to take the role because he's black, and growing up in the 60s, Clemens didn't have a positive opinion of cops at the time. I mean, you can mm-hmm. you can put that together, two and two together, right? Oh, yeah. So Mr. Rogers convinced him to play Officer Clemens on the show. Francois actually became one of the first black actors to have a reoccurring role on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Wow. Yeah, I mean, at that time, it was a very racially charged time. And to see that on TV, I'm sure some people probably were upset. But he's giving that... Um, idea of compassion is like, hey, you know, maybe we should move on from this idea of racism. Like, you know, the color that you are doesn't make you less than or whatever perceptions were at the time. Definitely. I mean, I'm glad that you brought up the time period because if you guys remember, you know, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood started, it aired nationally in 1968. Definitely very racially charged. So, you know, during the time when black people weren't allowed to swim in the same pools as white folks, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, like that's where um, Mr. Rogers is from, if you remember, Mm -hmm. near that area. You know, he wanted to make a point against segregation. He invited Francois to be a regular on the show as Officer Clemens. And in this one episode, I'll never forget it. Like they include this in the documentary and everything. Mm -hmm. And basically... Um, Mr. Rogers like was saying, you know, it's like a really hot day outside and he sees Officer Clemens come by and he has this little kiddie pool. So Mr. Rogers asks Officer Clemens and he's like, hey, do you want to like dip your feet in the pool? Because, you know, it's really hot. Like you can share my towel with me. You can dip your feet in the same pool as me. You know, he's saying in like so many words, but he's saying through his actions like we're going to share this pool together and it's going to be fine. And we're going to show other people basically that segregation and what's going on right now is wrong i mean i feel like that's just a perfect example of observational learning right there you know Mm. basically learning through example he's modeling that appropriate behavior or that positive behavior to children it's like hey you know if you have these you know misconceptions or perceptions maybe your family has those perceptions of you know black folk it's it really shouldn't be that way you know we can share a pool we can share a drinking fountain it's is not meant to be like that. There's this one thing that like I never got out of my mind. Uh, it doesn't have to do with Mr. Rogers or anything, but I remember a friend of mine telling me that um, she's white and her parents were very, very racist. Somehow though, my friend, she's like one of the most compassionate people I've ever known. And even though like this example was given to her by her parents mm-hmm. to, you know, like encourage the idea that like races are not equal um she never believed that like innately she never believed that even though her own parents were telling her that and she remembered being like you know a a kid in elementary school and her parents would tell her don't share your hat or anything with mexican kids because they all have lice 
Oh my gosh. Ugh. Why would she say that? I know. I know. She's like, they're all dirty. Don't do that. And that like really disturbed me when she told me that. And she told me like, you know, even though my parent was telling me this, I felt so disturbed from what she said to me. It just sounds like she had that innate, you know, trait to be compassionate. You know, usually kids who, you know, are modeled that behavior or are told these things, usually they kind of follow in their children in their parents' footsteps. I mean, I know that you're about to tell us maybe the opposite through like, you know, research theory and modeling behavior with preschoolers and stuff, but I I still want to hear what you have to say about it because like I know that there's a lot of theory behind it that, you know, children learn through imitating and through modeling, so. So I'm sure we may have talked about this theory before, but observational learning, um, that was very termed by Albert Bandura who did a lot of psychology work with children and also adults, but he developed this experiment that's called the Bobo Doll Experiment. I've heard about this. Yep. Like you, well, okay, we talked about this earlier, right? Like a lot of communications theory and psychology theory overlap. Mm -hmm. So I know who Albert Bender is and the Bobo Doll Experiment is kind of familiar i don't know you've probably told me about this like a million times or even like in a past episode for all we know okay just go ahead no worries no worries so yeah it's part of social cognitive theory and the bubble doll experiment kind of provided that evidence about you know how social cognitive theory is actually a thing so basically the bubble doll experiment in a nutshell is that children were exposed to like an adult being aggressive to a bubble doll so if you guys don't know what that is you know us millennials may not know (laughs) But it's basically a blow-up doll and you just punch it. You know, that's kind of the idea of it. You just hit it, you know, throw it. Um, So the adult was just engaging with it very aggressively. And children were exposed to that model. And then other children were exposed to the bubble doll, but the adults played with it in a non-aggressive way. So what do you think happened, Kristen? Hmm, I think that when the parents played with it aggressively, the children played with it aggressively. And when they were nice to the doll, the kids were nice to the to the doll well said very that is exactly what happened so basically children learn through imitation so if you model something to a child they're going to be more likely to engage in that process and children are just reinforced to copy what others do because they want that social approval and they're also just social learning animals so they learn vicariously and indirectly from, you know, things their parents do, their sister, brothers, you know, any little thing. So, you know, an example, I remember I used to work with a little girl and we'd play make-believe and stuff. And she put an apron and a chef hat and she's like, I'm cooking like daddy. Mm, okay. You know, that's that modeling imitation behavior. And she was like pretending to be him, answering the phone while he's cooking, <laughs> all these little things. And it was just very cute. So going back to Mr. Rogers, he's basically modeling to kids like, hey, this is how we should treat anybody, no matter what their color is, what their culture is, what their ethnicity is. That's so important. I mean, you guys got to think back to like the late 60s, the 70s, him modeling this behavior. It was revolutionary. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure people, some people were like very against it. I'm sure there was something said about it. <laughs> Man, I could only imagine. But man, we, I mean, we could go on and on, right? There's a million other topics we could go on, you know, about Mr. Rogers on this podcast. And these are just a few little snippets, but you know, this, this episode was like so much fun to do, wasn't it? 
I think this is probably one of my favorite episodes now. Aww. Yeah. And I wanted to bring another Aww. pop culture example, and I'm sure you have something to say about it. But you remember Mrs. Doubtfire, the movie? Yes. Yes. And I, <laughs> I think that was kind of like a copy of Mr. Rogers, you know, because Mrs. Doubtfire had a little television show where she taught to little kids. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. I forgot about that part of the movie. Yeah. That's exactly what I thought when I when I saw it. I was like, oh, that's Mr. Rogers, you know? Well, um, you know, if you guys want to learn more about Mr. Rogers, um, I recommend watching the documentary that we've been referencing. It's called Won't You Be My Neighbor? And it came out in 2018, and it's actually on HBO. So if you have HBO, definitely go and watch it. And then, of course, there's that movie starring Tom Hanks, and it's called A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, and that also came out in 2018. Uh, but I have a fun fact about Mr. Rogers and Forrest Gump. OMG, like, I don't even know. Tell me, tell me. <laughs> so, you know how Forrest Gump is my favorite movie of all time, and I know, like, every single line, and I've seen it a million times? Yes. It was also Mr. Rogers' favorite movie. Shut the heck up. Are you serious? Mm-hmm, and he watched it a million times. Oh, my gosh. That is so cool. I love that. <laughs> yep. And I was freaking out when I saw this interview with his wife, Joanne, talking about it. And she's like, oh, yeah, he dissected that movie. He just loved it so much. And the fact that Tom Hanks would be playing him in a movie, like, he just would be beside himself. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and then another thing, if you guys want to know more about Mr. Rogers, you can listen to this podcast I absolutely adored this podcast. It's called oh. Finding Fred, and it's a 10-part series hosted by author and culture critic Carvel Wallace about life, thinking, and work of Fred Rogers and how this TV show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, can tell us how to get by in today's chaotic world. Oh my gosh, I'm definitely going to be listening to that. That's on my playlist now. And then before we wrap up this episode, we have to give a very, very special shout out to one of our longtime listeners, Mercedes. Hey, Mercedes. We know you've been waiting for this episode for so long because you also love Mr. Rogers very, very much. So we just wanted to tell you that we really always like appreciate your support as a listener and as a friend. And we we're definitely thinking about you as we were writing this outline. So thanks for listening. Um, so I'm going to finish the episode in the best way I can think possible. You know, everyone has lots of ways of feeling. And all those ways of feeling are fine. It's what we do with our feelings that matter in this life. I trust that you're growing in ways that will help you with whatever feelings you may have. When you're a child and when you're a grown-up. I hope you're able to grow to respect whoever you are inside. It's such a good feeling to know you're alive. It's such a happy feeling you're growing inside. And when you wake up ready to say, I think I'll make a snappy new day. It's such a good feeling, a very good feeling. The feeling you know that I'll be back when the day is new and I'll have more ideas for you.
And you'll have things you'll want to talk about. I will too. You always make each day such a special day. You know how? By just your being you. Only one person in this whole world like you. That's you yourself. I'll be back next time. podcast is not meant to replace or supplement medical advice from a health practitioner. This podcast is meant for educational purposes only. 